everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty, and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And no, you have not accidentally clicked on last week's episode by mistake. This is once again a recap of a humiliating loss uh, for the Green Bay Packers, this time at the hands of the Washington Redskins by a final score of 42-24. to And we have been over every single possible reason for what is happening with this team. Obviously, the one that is starting to take the forefront is the fact that this team isn't very good. But Matt, I've thought of one that I think really clinches it. Ever since I moved, the Packers are 0-4. And I was just thinking back that I lived at my last place for a year and they had a really bad, a rough season by their standards last year. Before that, uh, the place I lived with uh, my then-girlfriend, now-fiancé, the Brewers had the worst collapse ever and the Packers had the worst collapse ever in the NFC Championship game. So I think I have to call off the wedding, break my deal with the bank, and go back to the apartment I lived at by myself when the Brewers were winning divisions and the Packers were winning Super Bowls. Yeah, or just move back in home. Whatever it takes here, it's clearly tied. No, we spent hours discussing it, and it's clearly just tied to wherever you're residing. I think that's got to be the case, because if I'm not center of the universe, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But um, this is was maybe not as bad as the week before, uh, but real quick before we get into it, this is the first time since 1953 the Packers have given up 30 points in four straight games. Uh, it's the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career as a starter that he's lost back-to-back games by 14 or more points. Uh, it happened to the McCarthy-led Packers when Rodgers was injured. And uh, uh, I have some other ones in there that I can share later, but this is getting really, really ugly. Yeah, basically all of the, the reasons we've theorized about being the problems with this team, it seems like the answer is yes to all of them. It's, yeah. I, I think it, it's weird how we've kind of seen like the perfect storm of all these things going wrong at the same time, and all of a sudden, um, you know, the team is crashing down along with it. It's just, it's crazy. Everything is bad right now. It's hard to find many bright spots, and even like last night, you could say, oh, Jared Cook finally had a good game at tight end for the Packers, and then fumbles right at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like sums everything up. Or Randall Cobb getting caught from behind, it, it's just like... yeah. Like all these things that were just, uh, it just seemed like positives, and then um, I don't know. It just, I, I, it's so frustrating to see that, like all these things happen at once. It's hard to even fathom that this is actually real life right now, and you've lost four straight. 
it's really starting to resemble that 2005 season in many ways. And 2008 was a bit weird. They were in every game, and with the turmoil with Favre and Rodgers' first year, that one never felt quite as devastating, even when we were in it. I mean, it was irritating and frustrating, but you never really lost the faith in anybody who was a part of the team at the time. This feels more like a 2005 to me because you can never quite put your finger on what's wrong. So you have a game like the Indianapolis Colts where the offense just plays dreadfully and then the defense gives it away at the end. But it reminds me of 2005 when they'd come out one week and they'd lose 32-29 to at a tough Carolina team. And you'd think, well, the offense is really good and the defense is just struggling. And then the next week they'd lose 21-14 to and the offense would turn it over five times. It just seems like... Every week we want to come in and be like, oh, no, that's the reason. And then whoever we let off the hook this week will be just terrible next week. Yeah, there's not much good happening right now. So it's much like that team, especially when you look back on it, that team was riddled with injuries too um, and you know, other other problems coming up at the end of a coach's tenure. Uh, probably a lot of things that you could probably find parallels to that as well. But I just you kind of look at this team and you're like, they're not as bad as that 05 team, are they, with like Sam Congato? But you <laughs> – you sort of find a lot of those guys on this roster, too. You're just so injured, and you're so desperate for guys. They're trading for Niall Davis and cutting him. They're signing Kristen Michael. It's, there's, it's kind of very, very similar to that team, and I feel like our records could wind up somewhat similar if things don't change soon. Oh, man. I, yeah, you're right. Sam Congato, from a fun standpoint, really rescued that season. So Yeah, it was fun to watch because of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, because he was uh, every week was so good, and... Uh, really kind of gave you a spark that carried you through that devastating November and December that they suffered. But um, this team doesn't even have a Sam Congato, and I think in 2005 it was disappointing, but they had been good under Sherman, and that 2003 year really stung. But by 2004, it was pretty obvious that they were depleted uh, from a talent standpoint, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And then once the injuries happened, it wasn't all that surprising, even though it was quite frustrating. Whereas this one really doesn't make any sense because the injuries are always a problem. They're a problem for every team. But when you have a team with a solid overall roster, as we saw in 2010, or I know people like to get hung up on 2010 because they actually won the Super Bowl, but think about 2012 when they had a lot of really bad injuries and still were 11-5, and um, and maybe they got dominated in the playoffs, but got to the divisional round. Uh, last year they had a ton of injuries, still got to the divisional round, whereas this one they're just in total free fall, and I think uh, maybe that's the, the point I want to come in to right away is... Aaron Rodgers is starting to play well. Uh, another stat that I have for you here, it's the first time since 1984 that the Packers have had 400 yards of offense in three straight games and lost all three times. He's really starting to turn the corner, and he's not playing his best by any means, but I think he's playing well enough to win in a lot of ways, and this defense is absolutely abysmal, but... The yesterday, and I, I'll probably change my mind after a loss in uh, Philadelphia on a stupid coaching gaffe. But watching that defense be helpless against some a Washington offense that admittedly is pretty good, but really having no confidence in them, not only getting Washington off the field, but holding them to anything less than a touchdown, uh, really made me feel that, yes, Dom needs to go, but I don't know if Bill Belichick could win with the talent they have on the defensive side of the ball right now. Yeah, I know. It, that's a frustrating thing, is because he's he's done enough over his last you know five years that I feel like we were we've all been pretty much ready to move on for a while now. But it's really hard to blame him, though. I mean, 
we came in with so many injuries, and then even yesterday the game seemed like the first scene of Saving Private Ryan. It's just like, <laughs> you know, it's every somebody's like blowing out a knee or getting taken off on a card like every other play it feels like. It, they yeah. have nobody left. And I, you can go ahead and sign a whole bunch of street free agents, but, I mean, that's basically what our whole defense is at this point. And Julia, Julius Peppers was basically your star last night. Yeah. It, I mean, it just – it's bad, and it, it's it's his fault. It's Ted Thompson's fault for not having better depth. But, it, again, you have basically half of your starters out there, and all their backups are all hurt. So it's yeah. it's hard to field much of a good defense. So it's hard to uh, really pinpoint blame on that. Which is true, but then also you don't understand why Dom has – Joe Thomas covering Jamison Crowder in the slot right. with the game on the line. I mean, there's still a lot of those things. And um, I try not to listen to other uh, shows or radio or anything like that before we do our podcast because I want my opinions to be honest and my own. Um, but last night I was I finally hit the breaking point. I'd, I'd been okay. The Atlanta game was close. The Indy game was really frustrating, but I didn't get that mad during the game. Uh, Tennessee, especially being at noon, uh, I wasn't that mad. And yesterday when they kept giving up these huge bombs, when it was clear that the offense was good enough to steal the game if they just would have gotten another chance with the score within one, and they kept giving up huge bombs, and I was getting so frustrated <laughs> with all of this, and ugh, it, it just was really... I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it felt like... I really started to get mad at, um, oh, this is the point I was making, sorry, I was going on a tangent there, that I had to listen to some radio just to get my mind off it, try to wind down and go to bed, and Jason Wildey brought up the really good points um, on the, his radio show that he wrote before the season that it was so amazing that this team had six undrafted free agents and seven rookies on the team, and how exciting that was, and just showed how great the competition was in camp for the Packers. And he said, if I would have thought about it more closely, I would have thought, no, that's a terrible sign that one-fifth of your team is going to be people that have never played before, and they were able to beat out veterans who have been with your team for a while. That's a sign of a roster that is in desperate need of talent. Right, and a, a sign of, of draft class has gone by, you know, filled with Justin Harrells and guys like that. that yeah, I mean, Carl you Bradford. Draft, <laughs> you get, like we've talked about the last two weeks, I mean, if you get no stars, that's a problem. You should probably get at least, like, one Pro Bowl player, you know, per draft-ish, at least, and we're, we haven't been close to that, not to mention the depth draft picks have not been good either, really, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you, you get that, you're going to get a whole bunch of undrafted free agents every year, which we've seen for the last few years. And the drafts have been poor since basically 2011. Yeah. So yeah, it's I I don't think that's a good sign at all um, to have that many of those type of players. And there's a reason they go undrafted. You might like what they show in camp, but there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether physical ability or, or lack of experience, what have you. I don't I don't think that's a good sign. And they've done well with those, but f- how many Tremont Williams and Sam Shields do you think you're going to find? Uh, yeah, you're extremely lucky, or your scouts did a great job finding just those guys. I mean, if you could, over the course of a regime, if you can find two um, shutdown cornerbacks, you've done a great job. But I think they've tried to capture lightning in a bottle, you know, a few too many times with that. And, you know, we're not in those rooms, and we're not even even close. 1% as good of talent evaluators as any of those guys. But doesn't it kind of reek of arrogance a little bit to think that, 31 other teams could be missing on so many of these diamonds in the rough that you're just going to find a whole bunch of guys that are going to turn out to be pro bowlers. I mean, if you look at the guys who are dominating the league right now, a couple weeks ago we brought up the Raiders. 
they're dominating the league with top five picks on both sides of the ball and a quarterback that they stole in the second round. Um, you know, New England's maybe the exception to everything, but even look at the teams that have been tearing us apart the last couple of weeks. Number one pick in the draft, number two pick in the draft. I mean, the Packers haven't been picking up there, but if you are picking at the end of the round, you can't be getting Kenny Clarks every year. You gotta at least sneak a Richard Sherman or a Cam Chancellor or something, and they haven't done that for a long time. They, Clay Matthews was Probably the last time that they got somebody that good that late. Um, maybe Randall Cobb is arguable, but he's not a dominant force at his position like Clay is at his best. Yeah, our drafts have almost been opposite. It feels like our, our seventh rounders and our undrafted free agents, they seem to like hold on to. Like They've got big contracts, and our first rounders are kind of interchangeable. If they turn out, then whatever, I guess. Yeah, um, It's weird. It's just all these defensive linemen and offensive linemen that are just not even anywhere close to being in the league anymore, and like Derek Sherrod and just... All these guys that you just completely wasted picks on that could have been, you know, if you always can look back and, you know, Captain Hindsight and see what you could have had, but just too many of those first and second round picks that have been that, just nothing. Yeah, and they've done great, like you said, in the later rounds, but it's nice to have Micah Hyde on the team, and it's nice to have some of those guys. It, you're not going to complain about having a... Andrew Corliss or, or guys like that on the team, they're nice. They fill out an all-star roster, but they don't make your roster an all-star roster in and by themselves, and that's what we've been trying to do lately. And speaking of which, and kind of to touch back on the, the point that I sort of made last week where it seemed you know like if they were going to make a change, it would seem probably McCarthy and not Thompson. I don't know if you've heard some of the things that have come out today, but I heard a report from Jason LeConfire that mm-hmm. – um, if I'm saying his name right there. I have no uh, idea how to say it. I like I've rewound James Brown saying it and I can't figure it out. So the, it's the dude from CBS Sports Jason with the glasses. Lecanfire. Yeah, so apparently the reports are and you, you know it's midway through the season you never know what you can trust but that McCarthy's job is likely safe but that if there was a change it might be in the GM position. I think I'm in favor of that. If if I had to do one and likely it would mean they would both go as a pair but Seeing that offense, or I'm sorry, that defense yesterday in that fourth quarter particularly, what is a coach supposed to do? They were just so crippled talent-wise. And yes, there's injuries, but they were completely healthy when Colin Kaepernick and company put up 579 yards of offense on them. I mean, this is not just a new trend. They've been trending in this direction since the moment they won the Super Bowl, and Yes, that's Dom Capers' fault, but you think you're going to get, I don't know, who's the best defensive coordinator in the game right now? I, I, I don't want to say Bill Belichick, but you get one of these other really good defensive guys. What, what if you get Mike Zimmer and have him take a pay cut and become a defensive coordinator? Is he going to turn Gunter and Joe Thomas? I mean, the star on your team, the most consistent guy is Blake Martinez, and he's about A.J. Hawk at his best right now. Yeah, I mean, you don't do that without Harrison Smith and, and Anthony Barr and guys like that. I mean, you've got to have talent out there. Basically, your most talented guys are, are basically all of them are injured, true, but then the guys you have out there are just way underperforming, too, because they're all, like we t- said, seventh-round draft picks, undrafted free agents. It's really hard for anybody, I think, to um, to you know make do with what we have right now. Yeah, exactly, and that, to me... Um, it, it probably sounds ridiculous if you listen to all these shows in succession or, or if you sat down and listened to them all in a row because every week we're blaming somebody else. We're just searching for answers. But I came away yesterday thinking, 
pretty definitively Aaron Rodgers is not the problem. Um, right. yep. he, he's got to play better, but he's not the problem. McCarthy's an offensive expert. They've put up 400 yards four weeks in a row and haven't even come close to winning. And I doubt uh, that Mike McCarthy is designing defenses that are d- designed to uh, put bad linebackers on good slot receivers with no safety help and uh, then have one-on-one coverage with cornerbacks that can't stay with anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Three weeks ago, we were like, it's definitely Rogers' fault, and then two weeks ago, it was, you know, McCarthy, and then it was Ted Thompson last week, and it's just, and that's that's why I said, you know, it seems like it's everything for sure right now, and I, I love that Rogers is playing better, and I love that McCarthy's getting creative with his offense, too, a little more so, and we're seeing that work a little better, and Rogers is getting his groove back because of it, but then you still have your two critical flaws of a defense that still can't stop anybody, and a team that's just devoid of talent and you just can't overcome those things I don't Rodgers can put up you know 500 yards the rest of the season and with this defense currently they're not going to win still yeah yeah well as and that's obvious that maybe the point production isn't so good but it's hard to do more than they've done on offense they're I think we expect every offense for the Packers to be that 2011-2014 style offense, and that's what we're always aspiring to because we've seen it at its best. But the truth is, this is kind of the taste of what the San Diego Chargers have gone through for pretty much their entire existence. Is They're scoring 24 to 30 points a game and usually losing because they have terrible defense and untimely turnovers. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is the de- really that is the dividing line between good football teams and bad in a lot of ways. But I don't know, it just... I feel like McCarthy, if he ever if he gets fired by Ted Thompson and Thompson gets to save his job, the fir- the thing he's going to say as he leaves the door is going to say, "You let me play a game without an actual running back on my roster." Yeah. <laughs> what was I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Um. The thing that I wanted to bring up with McCarthy is that would you even have confidence that a new coach could win with this talent? Would it be any different if Ted Thompson was still here, if McCarthy was gone? Um, like, what would what would your expectation be if they actually did switch out a coach? Yeah, and that's what's honestly the question that's got me thinking. Because, I mean, you, the only reason you really say yes is because Aaron Rodgers is there. But, I mean, you look at this talent as a whole, you, you, I guess you just wonder maybe if a coach could get more out of the talent that's there. But I don't think you look at these players and say, like, man, I think this guy could be really good if just. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's both sides of the ball, too. So it's not like the offense is humming. The receivers that we have all look fantastic. Our defense just looks like they're underdeveloped or something it, it looks like the whole roster is just not that good mm-hmm. so i you you could maybe get a spark but i i do think that that's probably the deeper problem that i you think you bring in somebody else right now you can maybe solve some of the the glitches in the offense to get a little change of pace but i think overall it's much the same yeah and so do you almost take your chances and stay with mccarthy i mean I don't know, maybe it seemed like Rodgers really came out against that Florio report that he and McCarthy have any kind of personality uh, clashes or any kind of strained relationship. Um, granted, there was another article this week that came out about other strained relationships with Aaron Rodgers, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. and I really don't know what to say about that, but you just you just, you just wonder. Kinda- we always kind of felt like if one was gone, the other was gone. It would seem unusual to get rid of a GM and not let him have his own guy, especially when the team has been trending downward for a couple of years. Yeah, You would think it would be the natural choice to just 
get them both out, let them start fresh. Uh, I mean, we've seen this in the NFL a few times where a coach hangs around when, when a GM doesn't, and usually they're gone in a year after that. Yeah. So it's it would seem unusual, but I, I would agree with you at this point, and my thought might change next week, but my thought is that if you're if I could choose one to remove from the situation, it would probably be the GM at this point. Yeah, and I feel like McCarthy might have a better chance to work with someone new because he's so, seems to be at least, so hands-off with the personnel moves. It's not like Mike Sherman when they took his GM job away and he kind of sulked for a year by a lot yeah. of reports. And if Mike Holmgren, whose entire life goal was to be a general manager, and they took that away from him, and then he turned it around and became a great football coach again and took Seattle to the Super Bowl, if they can make that work, and really... As ridiculous as it sounds, because Holmgren's been so mythologized here in Green Bay, McCarthy's had pretty much that same cachet that Holmgren has had. And so if you give Holmgren in Seattle a place where he hadn't produced those great uh, years, really, when they took the GM job away from him, I think at either 2002 or 2003, you would think McCarthy would have enough equity involved, especially if it's somebody internal like Elliot Wolf, that uh, perhaps it might work out. Yeah, that's true. I, I would think an internal hire might make things a little smoother there. Yeah, but I think whatever happens there, we're probably not going to get anything, and so we have six more games of uh, whatever this is left to get through, and... Um, man, I, one of the things I wanted to bring up to you, just some discussion, and I know we've had this before because I am always calling that the sky is falling and, um, it, it hasn't until now and still four and six, they're pretty much going to have to run the table even within the division. If they're going to have a chance to go to the playoffs, they're buried deep in the tiebreakers for the NFC, but you know, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. There's so many teams at that close level, but for real, it looks like we're going to have a bad season. And you just wonder if they did switch out McCarthy and they had to start over and rebuild this roster in a lot of ways. And we have Aaron Rodgers playing his best Philip Rivers impersonation or his best Tony Romo from four years ago impersonation, trying his best to win with guys who just aren't very good. I wonder if our generation, um, yeah, I hate that word millennials because it's so bashed nowadays, but those people that really came of age as Packer fans with Brett Favre and with Mike Holmgren. You wonder if our generation has the stomach to lose for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, part of the, the bash on the millennials is that they're spoiled, right? And, that, yeah, and, and yeah. that's definitely us with the Packers. I mean, we've never, more than a season at a time or maybe, you know, an average season sprinkled in here and there have really ever experienced that. But, I think, as we've talked about before, it's. I think this disappointment and frustration is largely, not completely, but largely based on the fact that we've seen this team's apex and having the Hall of Fame quarterback and knowing how good you could be and feeling that this is all getting wasted. Yeah. I think if you, you go in and you know you've got, you know, whoever at quarterback, you know, down the road, you've you're starting somebody else, you have low expectations, it's much different. I mean, I don't think that this team... You know, has no or these fans have no patience for a new coach or a developing roster. I think that that would be possible in this, um, but it, it's just it's so frustrating because of what we've seen with basically the same guys at the helm. Still got Clay, still got Rodgers, still got McCarthy, still got Ted Thompson, and it's just not good anymore. Yeah, and I think you bring up a fair point, and 
I guess I was just sitting around today and thinking about our experience at Cleveland, which wasn't terrible, but you know that was a half full stadium filled with uh, old drunken men who were really bitter, and Lambeau Field would be a chock full stadium of old drunken men watching a loser product. And <laughs> you just wonder. It probably already is now. I mean, this yeah. is basically. What the Browns is have gone through this season is basically our microcosm of that. Is where we've been through a whole, you know, a season of this trouble, and I'm sure it's probably a very similar environment right now. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I guess if anybody, I know most of our listeners are pretty close to the age that Matt and I are, but if there's anybody out there that maybe is a little bit older and attended games at Lambeau Field prior to the Renaissance, I would love to hear what it was like in the '80s when the amenities were even worse than they are now. You just wonder what the atmosphere was like, because that was one of the things I'm like, I just, I don't want to become Cleveland. And I know that's a big, big drop-off, but, um, yeah, gosh, it, I don't, freaking the, the idea that we're going to perhaps watch a whole month of an irrelevant football team is uh, not fun. I'm going to do it, because I love football, and I love the Packers, and if they're 4-11 and taking on Detroit on New Year's Day, I'm definitely going to watch it, but... Um, man, this is uncharted waters for a lot of people our age. Well, and, and to that point, too, as a mini what-if, and we might, may have already done this one, too. I mean, just think if you don't hit on that one draft pick at 24th overall where you take Aaron Rodgers right now, do you think that we're very much different than like where Cleveland's at this year? I mean, Ooh. I don't. Our, talented is, our talent on the roster is better than theirs is healthy. Um, but, I mean, if you don't have a good quarterback on this team, imagine how just how bad we are yeah. right now. I, I mean, there's no stars on the team. No. There literally is none right now. And, uh, I mean, you're definitely a bottom-of-the-barrel team. You're not Cleveland bad, but you're definitely not any good. And you kind of got lucky that one guy slid to you, and that I mean, that basically changes your whole dynasty. Well, they probably would have played – like, who would have been their quarterback? It's hard to tell because – Brian Brom? I know. I was just going to say Brom, maybe Flynn. Um well, no, it would have been Brett Favre. Probably picking a little higher up in the draft, but I mean, you could get in the same cycle that a lot of these teams are, that you're picking, you know, these guys that go higher and they're kind of end up being, you know, middle of the road average quarterbacks. And Well, if you I don't... Mean, that's, that's never guaranteed. There. If you don't draft Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre is your quarterback through 2010 easily. Right. And maybe he's even here longer. Just keeps getting beat up and... <laughs> Still playing. Yeah. <laughs> He's still out there now. That's a great question, though. I don't know. I, I feel like people wouldn't have minded. Like, if they, if they would have stayed at that, like, let's say they go 6-10 and 10 still in 2008 and still kind of slock around. or Let's say everything is the same, except you swap out the Vikings seasons with Favre uh, for the, the Packers two seasons. They don't win a championship, but they have maybe another mini renaissance in nine and then a disastrous 2010. I think people would have put up with it because Favre was our guy. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, people were calling for his head after the 07 playoff thing. If you think he throws another game-losing interception in the NFC Championship game, I don't know. It was getting pretty bad at this point. I mean, there's probably like the 25 to 30% of uh, – Far fans that no matter what he did, he could have killed somebody on the field and they wouldn't have cared. Yeah, but I, I, th- I don't know. There was a lot of people that were already getting frustrated and happy to move on. I think one more year of that and things might have gotten ugly. I don't know. I think you're underestimating the size of the far fanatics because yeah, maybe. I think it would have been close to half, and then there were, you know, those jerks like you who aren't appreciative of the great Brett Favre, <laughs> and and I probably would have just been like, yeah, whatever, you know, let him stay. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, hopefully we don't have to find out what it's like to have that prolonged losing. And what gives me hope, and Rodgers still has a lot of time left to play, but what gives me hope is that it seems like now that free agency is a generation old and a lot of the salary cap is a generation old, you see teams that know how to do it and teams that don't. And you look at teams like Cleveland and the Bears and Tampa, teams that you know maybe flashed a few times but for the most part have been bad for years and years. But then you look at teams like Baltimore and Denver and Indianapolis and maybe even Philadelphia and teams like that who just seem to find a way to win with three or four talent cycles. And so that gives me hope that the Packers will be able to be one of those teams and uh, maybe we won't – get the heights we've had with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Favre, but I, I could certainly see us falling into that uh, category of maybe where, um, I mean, even better than like Kansas City, where they're going to get a chance to be in the playoffs almost every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, so I don't know where else to really take this. Um, just another <laughs> sad, devastating game. Um, the one thing that did really bother me and I think was a tad overblown was the talk about the wind all day yesterday, talking about how it's disrupting Aaron and messing things up. And then the day before, in like twice as strong a wind, you got the great Alex Hornibrook and the legendary Bart Houston dropping dimes in the middle of the wind. And Aaron Rodgers can't seem to do it. I just thought that was a little ridiculous. Yeah, well, I'm, they did at least throw through it. I mean, we saw both quarterbacks put up big numbers. I felt like it. I'm sure it was a big problem, but the announcers sure talked about it a lot in the game at least. Yeah, why the heck wasn't Al Michaels there? That was weird. Yeah, I don't know. They kept referencing it. I'm sure it was just when they signed Tarico, he was going to have to announce some games, I guess. It was probably just one of those games. It sucks with him not on Monday Night Football anymore. That Sean McDonough and John Gruden have absolutely no chemistry together. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I don't mind McDonough when he announced, announced a lot of college football games, but it's just a weird pairing, kind of. Yeah, I thought McDonough and Chris Spielman were one of the better college football pairings in the country, but um, McDonough is such a straight man, and Gruden's trying to kind of get wacky, and McDonough doesn't seem willing to play along. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really bizarre. Um, a lot is being made of the million missed extra points, and I even saw an article on, uh, I think, Pro Football Talk this morning talking about how will yesterday change everybody's mind about going for two more, and um, I think it's probably just an anomaly, but do you have anything to take from uh, all the missed extra points yesterday? No, not really. I mean, it was the most ever. It's not like this is happening every week, and uh, there were teams going for two to avoid the win and not converting like all the time when I was watching Red Zone for the first block of games. I can't remember which team it was. I think it was the Steelers kept going for two, and then the announcers were talking about how that's kind of screwed their chances up a little bit now because they're only up by this much and now instead of the one point. So I, I don't know. It's, it's still the same thing. I don't think we're going to keep seeing that over and over again. I think yesterday was kind of a weird game or a weird week. Yeah, I still... I can't remember who's trying to make the argument, but they're always trying to make that argument. Well, if it falls below like 94%, you're better off going for two. And I'm like, well, that assumes like a long, huge sample size. I'm sure your fans would be okay with the smart money when you lose a game by two points because you went for too many two-point conversions. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one of the things Matt and I talked about prior to this is that we're tired of talking about how crappy the Packers are. And Thanksgiving is this week, so we're going to do a Crossfire segment, but we're also going to maybe throw in some Thanksgiving topics. I don't know which ones Matt prepared, but I prepared some Thanksgiving-ish topics. And so we're going to call this a special edition of Crossfire called Turkey Talk.
So that signifies the beginning of Crossfire, where we try to rapidly uh, present topics and uh, discuss them uh, the best we can. And since it's close to Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite days of the year, Matt as well, we're going to maybe talk about some of that. So, um, Matt, I have a question for you to start. Okay. Should the NFL consider having someone other than Detroit and Dallas host Thanksgiving games? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I guess I don't need to see a change. I, I kind of like the traditional, and to me it just wouldn't quite – it's kind of like that late game. It's still a Thanksgiving game, but it just – I mean, it doesn't have that same kind of feel to it, and I think because there's so much history behind those two games. So I would prefer not, and I, I maybe I wouldn't be a hardcore argument against it, but um, I would like to see those two teams stay in that. I think I would too, but when I constructed this question, what really changed it for me was when I imagine those games, it's the Silverdome followed by Texas Stadium, and now that they're playing in that giant palace down in uh, Arlington and they're playing at Ford Field, it just doesn't quite feel the same way as it used to, and I think that's fine. I can live with Ford Field more than the the Dallas Palace. I, I kind of miss Texas Stadium late in the season and, and seeing that, but um, I, it wouldn't bother me. I used to be like a hard liner. Like, there's no way you can get rid of Detroit and Dallas, but I think now thinking about how cool it would be in the afternoon at Lambeau or at Soldier Field or maybe make a rule that it has to be like some NFL team that had been in the league since the 40s, I think that would be kind of cool. Philadelphia, New York. Um, you know, I don't want to see Jags, Texans at the 11:30 time slot, but uh, I'd be willing for maybe some flexibility. Sure, sure, that makes sense. Um, so for you, Eric, I want to know your all-time turkey leg recipient. Out of all of the Thanksgiving games you've watched, what's the one performance that stands out for you as the best? Oh boy, um, that's a really good question. So it's hard for me. Ugh, it bothers me to have to say this, but that Randy Moss game in 1998 where he had the three touchdowns and was just completely unstoppable, it sucked as a Packer fan because you're like, oh my God, how are we going to cover this guy and he's going to be here for a decade? And it didn't quite end up being as bad as all of us probably feared in 1998, but that's the most uh, indelible image that I have from uh, Thanksgiving. And I'll throw a shout out to... The I was too young to have seen it live, so that's why I can't take it over the Randy Moss one. But the Brett Favre and Sterling Sharp connecting for four touchdown passes in a valiant loss at Dallas in 94 would be my choice if I was about three years older. But being the age I'm at, I would say Randy Moss in 1998. Yeah, I remember that 94 one then briefly, too. There, there's been so many. I just remember Barry Sanders going off a couple times. Emmett Smith, too. I'm sure Aikman's had some good ones, but I think, yeah, most vividly in the last 15 years, um, I guess, man, that's even more than that now, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, yeah, almost 20. It's, it's got to be Moss, in my opinion, too. I think that's the one that stands out, where you're just watching it like, oh my god, how can, they, how can you cover this guy? He's just running straight, and they're throwing it deep, and he's catching touchdowns left and right. That will, I think, forever probably stand out for me as the, the best performance I've seen on Thanksgiving. I will tell you the most memorable turkey leg moment for me was the last year I think they probably did it was in 2001 when the Packers had that really good game against the Mike McMahon led Owen a million Lions that they won 29-27 uh, on a knockdown two-point conversion and Brett Favre and Amon Green were the turkey leg winners and 
I don't know if you remember, but they would always have that big traducan down there, and they'd talk to Pat and John, and then they'd pull the turkey off. And Amon Green grabbed one, and it was just like a perfect, like, picturesque cooking show, pulled it off, it looked the best, and Brett pulled one that had, like, a tendon or something, <laughs> and he was, like, struggling with it, and it just made it look disgusting. So I just, I, I always think of that when I think of that turkey leg award. <laughs> All right, now now that I've made you very hungry with that visual, <laughs> what is the best Thanksgiving food? Oh, man, I, I've got two clear favorites here, and they kind of go hand in hand, but I, I think I have to go traditional and say turkey. Like, I could get creative here, but just turkey with some gravy on it, I think it's it's number one. But mashed potatoes and gravy is, is right there with it, too. I think gravy really ties everything together, but mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go turkey. I think the Packers maybe need more gravy because they need to be tied together. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, you just don't get like regular like hunks of turkey that much during the year, so I I really appreciate that. No, I I would agree with that. Um, one thing I don't have very much through the rest of the year though is stuffing, and that's always my yeah. favorite, especially the way um, our family makes it. With I think it's got like the sausage stuffing, so it's got some of that in it. So I I always look forward to that the most. But yeah. I I always put gravy on it too. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it really is. All right, so I, that's funny that you asked that. I thought you might. So I wanted to know, what is the one food that you always skip over and don't take any of? What can you do without? Oh, man. Um, that's a really good one. I, you know what just kind of sucks? Corn. I, yeah. I I always take corn, and then it like will fall everywhere on the plate, and you'll you can't help but always get like one kernel in every bite you take, and then I just sit there regretting having taken any corn. You you, you feel like, especially as you're an adult, you want to go up there and you want to take a vegetable and try to plant it out, and then once you sit down, you're like, what was I thinking? I should have just had a huge pile of turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, maybe a little squash, and then called it even. Like what what am I putting corn on this plate for? Yeah, yeah, I would I wouldn't go near the corn. I think I think one mistake I made as a small child was telling everybody how much I liked squash. So <laughs> I, I feel like there was this pressure then to like always get squash and I gotta be honest, I just I prefer to just have like use the stuffing, the mashed potatoes and the turkey and the gravy. Like I could really do without that and I think that I think going forward this year I'm gonna I'm gonna grow a pair and I'm not gonna get any squash. <laughs> You're drawing the line, huh? Yeah, no more squash for me. I think I I'm gonna spend that stomach space on more valuable things. There you go. That's a smart move. I, I will say this too. Green bean casserole is always oh. one where I'll I, I like it, but I'll take like a big old thing of it and then like I wish I had more of the other stuff and I'll be like, Man, I shouldn't have taken so much. I don't really want it that much. But then if I don't take any, I like regret it the rest of the day. Yeah, you gotta have some of that. That's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Apparently Campbell's invented it to sell more soup. Did you know that? Yes. Cream of mushroom, I can see. I have a pan a Campbell's pan that has the recipe right on it. It's super convenient. There you go. That sounds amazing. Alright, so I will let's see, what next one do I have? Um what is the first, now that we're kind of getting close to the Christmas season, what is the first Christmas show, movie, or song that you're going to consume? You definitely can't tell that we're brothers, because that was the last question on my <laughs> list, too, for you. Um, uh, first Christmas movie. There, there's so many good ones, and I, I have, like, my top, like, three or four. It's it's generally going to be Muppets Christmas Carol is Ooh. generally my number one, but that's also like a two-hour time commitment too, so or like an hour and a half. Whereas, like, if you watch the classic Grinch, that's like a half an hour. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, I think it probably will end up being Grinch, to be honest with you. But I think Muppets Christmas Carol might be my favorite. Yeah, the Muppets Christmas Carol is really good. I'm gonna agree with the Grinch, and 
it's a classic, obviously, but it also for me is uh, it, it just feels like I have to watch that first. Um, when I was a kid, basically my whole conscious life, um, we taped a bunch of Christmas programs on an old VHS tape when I was three or four years old, and the first thing on there was The Grinch, and that was the first thing we dug out when it was Christmas time, when we were putting up decorations, we'd throw in that tape, and so it just wouldn't feel right if I didn't start with The Grinch, because that was the first show on that VHS tape that I've been watching since I've been self-aware, so I, I would have to do that. Yeah. Um, the last thing I was going to ask, um, this is the only other one I had, is there has always been debate amongst people as to when you can put up Christmas stuff, and it seems like the stores are inching it ever closer to fall, but when do you think is the proper time to put up Christmas stuff? Yeah, so I broke my own rule a little bit last night here, because I went to Menards for other things, and I just decided to buy all my Christmas lights, so I put up a small decoration last night. Normally, my rule is nothing before Thanksgiving, and usually, you know, maybe that night, but usually the weekend after is a good time to, you know, get everything out and put everything up, so I would usually say, like, that Saturday after is prime time for me. Yeah, and obviously, I'm going to agree with you, because that's a lot when we used to do it, but I've been putting stuff up earlier uh, as I've gotten older and I had plans to put up all of my Christmas lights this weekend and then we um, got like 40 mile an hour winds and I didn't feel like being on a 20 foot ladder on the roof when we had 40 mile an hour winds but now it sounds like it's going to snow on Wednesday and I I don't quite know what to do but last year I think I actually put them up second week in November but I refused to light them until uh, after Thanksgiving. Yeah that's fine I'm okay with that as long as they don't go on. (laughs) All right. All right, so that's the end of uh, Turkey Talk. Um, maybe that'll be a weekly segment since uh, Turkey's the best. Matt just said you don't get to have turkey all the time, so maybe we got to change that. Yeah, just, no more talking about the bad Packers the rest of the year. We'll just keep talking about Thanksgiving food, even when it's not relevant. So send all of your turkey-related questions uh, on Facebook. We should talk about the Badgers. They had another easy win against a bad opponent, and right now they're number five in the AP poll. Tomorrow we'll see the college football playoff, and it's getting to look more and more like the pack or the Badgers have a legitimate shot to be in the college football playoff, and more so than whether or not you think they will, because there's a lot of different things that could happen. If you were on that committee, would the Badgers be one of your top four? Yeah, I, I'm torn because I think this defense is so good that they that they look so convincingly good against almost everybody. I guess against everybody they've faced, they've shut down pretty much every offense they've faced. But I think if I was on the committee, I feel like they're almost getting more love than I, as a Badger fan, sort of feel like at this point. Like yeah. in the first like few months of the year, you felt like they were underrated still because you knew how good the defense was. But now I like if you watch ESPN or whatever, people are already putting them in their top four, and it's just like. I, I feel really great about the defense, and I like a couple of the pieces on the offense, but with how Hornbrook and Houston are playing right now, I'm a little scared, and they definitely seem like a team that could, even from a bad team, like, you know, this week, could potentially just get taken out, but yeah. I guess that's kind of every college football team, isn't it? So it, it, they're as good as anybody except for probably Alabama right now. They could hang with anybody, so it's I'll be curious to see when that thing comes out tonight where they're at. I think probably five or six. Yeah, it's really difficult, and I agree with just about everything you said. You tend to always overrate offenses. So you see what Oklahoma did on the road on Saturday night, and you're while they're coming around and they're a two-loss team, and um, 
I didn't want to take it in this direction, but that's one of the things that scares me is that Colorado and Oklahoma State are starting to play better. So both Washington and Oklahoma are going to have an opportunity to have a good win right before the end of the season. But like you said, the offense is kind of middling. They're like in the 70s, I think. But then you look at a team like Oklahoma that can't stop anybody. They they had their biggest win, and they still gave up 28 points. And the Badgers, they're the inverse of a team that can score on anybody. Like Clemson can drop 35 on everybody, but the worst teams in the country can score 30, you know, 30 points on them. And whereas the Badgers, they're not going to play a bad off or a bad defense and destroy them, although they have the last two weeks. But they are playing some of the best offenses in the country on the road and holding them to nothing. And it's hard to wrap your mind around that because there's not much of a wow factor in a defense that just is solid and holds you to three and out every time. But I don't know. It's If I was on that committee, I would feel like they're in that top six and I would be okay with them at four but if I weren't a fan of the Badgers I don't know how badly I'd want to see them in yeah probably wouldn't yeah what I mean because I don't think they have a chance to beat Alabama and they're not going to be higher than four so I don't I, I guess do you think they could get higher than four like if they had to if, if Penn State somehow lost to gosh they play somebody not oh Michigan State so I guess it's conceivable the way Michigan State's played the last couple weeks but um, if if they beat Ohio State, then maybe they got a chance to be three or so. But otherwise, they're going to play Alabama, and that's going to be rough. Yeah, you need a lot of help at this point. You only got a week of regular games left, so it's you're kind of running out of time for more teams to lose. So I would think, as of right now, that sure seems like they're ceiling. Yeah, but I guess we'll see what happens. And at the very least, and that's what I'm trying to tell myself, expecting them to end up being number five or something because Washington or Oklahoma is just going to dominate whoever they're playing in that big, that final game. But it this was a season where we weren't sure if they were going to make a bowl game. And with one game left in the regular season and a likely Big Ten championship trip, I mean, this has been so refreshing, and it's changed my thoughts from thinking that Paul Christ was just going to be kind of a, a nice coach to maintain things and maybe break three, free every decade to they're going to be right where they've been the last 10, 20 years, and uh, this has been such an enjoyable season and really needed given how bad the Packers are. And the, the defenses we've seen the last two years have been as good as we've ever really seen here. So it's nice that, you know, you've lost defensive coordinators, but that's still staying around here. So it's if we can hang our hat on this, you know, it, we, it's always been the run game. But now it's our linebackers and our awesome front seven. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I think it's going to help that with that tip and pick six that T.J. Watt had, he's going to be a top 20 yeah. pick in the draft. Yeah. And that's just going to send more people our way. So it, it's been an awesome season for the Badgers. So. If we had Scarlet and, and Red for... No, not Scarlet. That's Ohio State. Whatever. Red and Gold. I thought their Red had its own name, the the Badgers, but... Yeah, I'm sure... I think it's like Cardinal Red or something, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a thing for it. Their podcast that's similar to our podcast has probably been happier, but uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll stick with our Packers, even if they do go 4-12. That's right. All right, so with that in mind, um, we're kind of running long here so um i don't think we need to make our picks but maybe we'll do the thanksgiving one since it kind of has a pretty impressive lineup and probably the most important game of the weekend of the packers is the first game on thanksgiving which is the minnesota vikings traveling to detroit to play the lions so anyway you slice it one of the division rivals of the packers is going to be 
at least two games up on the Packers at the end of this week, and that's if the Packers beat Philadelphia. So uh, who do you like in that matchup? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this game. It should be a good one here. Um, I think I'll go with Detroit at home. I I don't know why, but I, Minnesota, I just, I'm not real good. And I, I did hear today, though, Adrian Peterson might make it back before the end of the year. So wow. if they're still alive, that might really help them out. But I think for this one, I'm going Detroit. I think I'm going to agree with you. I might be tempted to root for the Vikings because they have a loss to the Bears and the Lions. And so that would already be two losses. And the Packers, I think, it sounds so ridiculous, but... They really only need to win their division games and then maybe one or two more, which sounds like a lot because they got to go five and one to get nine and seven at this point in the season. But um, I guess if they beat Philadelphia and then maybe Minnesota beats the Lions, then I'm starting to feel a little bit better about their chances. Sure. Uh, but I, I think Detroit's going to win. Then you have the Redskins at the red hot Dallas Cowboys in a game that should be pretty good. Uh, who do you like in that one? Yeah, I'll take the Cowboys here. I think the Redskins will come back down to earth a little bit after not playing our defense. Um, yeah, I, I can't pick against Dallas at this point. It seems like every time I say that, that team loses. But they're just they're rolling so much right now. Ezekiel Elliott got shut down by the Ravens, and they still won by a couple mm-hmm. of touchdowns because Dak played so well. So I think this team's overall really good. Do you think Zeke could be the NFL MVP? The first, probably the first rookie ever to be NFL MVP. Yeah, it's possible. I mean. Your best players right now is Tom Brady. He missed four games. Um, I mean, nobody. Matt Ryan has come back down to earth. I guess who else? I mean, maybe Dak might take a couple of votes away from him. But, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's very possible. feels like the Falcons haven't played in a month. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's because they keep losing they these games that aren't on TV, I think. Yeah, well, no, no loss there, I guess. Uh, I'll pick Dallas as well. And then the nightcap is a game that... Uh, is an appropriate Thanksgiving nightcap because if you really want to, it's a pretty good game to watch, but if you missed it, you're probably not going to miss much, and that is the Indianapolis Colts hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, um, it probably will end up being a good game because I don't think either of these teams are as good as we thought, but uh, probably be competitive. It's a tough one. Pittsburgh just didn't even look that good against Cleveland again the other day. It's, they're so strange right now, you can't quite put your finger on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it sounds like Andrew Luck might be out because of a concussion, so I think I have to go Pittsburgh here. Oh, I take back everything I said. Who wants to watch that game if Luck's not playing? Who's well, their backup? He's got Tolzien, though. Oh, the Tolzers. Nice. Yeah, I'd watch that. Um, Pittsburgh's going to win, I think, if that's the case. And I suppose we should pick the Green Bay Packer game, which uh, they will play on Monday Night Football, which seems like an eternity with all of the turkey and stuffing and not corn we have between now and then, and not squash as well, because this year we're not going to be doing squash. Yeah. Um, Will the Packers get squashed by the Eagles? I, I'm really tempted to pick them in this one just because you don't think it can stay this bad for this long. But it, um, and you, I don't. Carson Wentz, I've watched a lot of Eagles lately, hasn't looked so hot. They don't have the really the vertical threats to beat us how the last few teams have pounded us. But I just, with all these injuries on defense, I just don't foresee a way that we can stop any offenses right now. Yeah. Um. So and being in Philadelphia on Monday night, I I really want to say this is going to turn around in this game, but I don't. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I basically agree with everything you've said. It, it feels like a game that we're, we're due after how the offense is played, and you, you don't think the defense could get any worse because historically they can't. Um, they haven't played this bad in 65 years, but uh, I, I just feel it would be a bit foolish to expect them to turn the corner. And Carson Wentz, 
actually impressed me a little bit yesterday. He wasn't the disaster I expected him to be going into Seattle. and He, he didn't play great by any means, but he certainly looked like he was uh, at least up to the moment of playing in those tough road games, and he didn't look any worse than Aaron Rodgers has the last three times he's been out there. It's going to be like a baseball player when they swing the bat with all those weights on it before they actually go up to bat. It's going to seem so easy playing the Packers defense after playing against that Seahawks defense. It's going to be like swinging through through butter. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. All right, so we expect the Eagles to swing the Packers with butter. Is that what you're saying? I guess so. I don't know if that's a real thing. but Well, we'll find out on Monday night. Maybe <laughs> on Thanksgiving Monday that will be. Uh, all right, so that's all we have. Um, if you want to interact with us on the Facebook page, oh, which people did, and I, I definitely wanted to bring up the Daniel Johnson question or uh, comment because it was the best thing I, I read, and he said that the pa- the Packers did a really nice job of doing the mannequin challenge during the game on defense. So mm-hmm. I thought that was actually pretty clever. It's hot right now. They thought they'd get involved. Yeah, I mean, although by now it's. It, how fa- How long do those things last? I, I feel like it's probably already losing momentum. Yeah, it's already uncool, but that's that's how the Packers do it. <laughs> yeah, they're going to do planking next week uh, <laughs> when people are out there. Uh, Eric Hansen wrote swear words, which is appropriate. And Corey Ben says, how about them Badgers? Which uh, we definitely agree with that. But if you want to add some more comments on this podcast, you can do so on the Facebook page, uh, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. Also hit us up on Twitter, at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Also, if you have not already, download the the Podbean app and follow Green and Gold Forever on there. You'll get the complete archives of Green and Gold Forever, and uh, you can listen to when the Packers actually were good uh, back early on in the, the Green and Gold Forever or even earlier this season when we thought they were good. Uh, but a lot of uh, good stuff on there, and it's also available on the iTunes podcast app, uh, although on that one you only get about the last 10 episodes. But either way, however you prefer to listen to your podcast, follow Green and Gold Forever, and hopefully... For the first time in what seems like an eternity, uh, the next time we talk to you, uh, you'll be all stuffed from Thanksgiving, and uh, maybe the Packers will have one. But uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up. But either way, have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Get up those Christmas lights since now it's okay, and uh, enjoy a lot of great college football and also some NFL football that will be coming this weekend. Take care, everyone.